0: Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com
1: Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach Christopher McCollum. Well, thank
0: you, and thank you, dear listener, for joining us again. My name is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach, and that is how you have to say it. Here uh, on the Zoom with Alex Terranova. Alex, say hi to the people. Hi, people. Hi, everyone. You're a professional <laughs> certified coach. Alex, tell the people where they find you on thedreammason.com, DreamMason.com, etc.
2: Well, if they go to DreamMason.com, hopefully I will be the only one there. Because it's my website. So if somebody else is on thedreammason.com, please email me at alex at, at thedreammason.com to tell me that I've been hacked and sabotaged. Uh, but yeah, you can find me at thedreammason.com. You can find me on the Dream Mason podcast and uh, also a podcast called Flip the Lens, both, which are podcasts that we do in conjunction with Accomplishment Media. And I wrote a cool book, Christopher, last year, that you published called Fictional Authenticity. People should probably read that.
0: Yes, and you can, get, uh, you can do something on the web about fictional authenticity. It's an authenticity audit or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you
2: don't feel like doing your taxes this year, you could do an authenticity audit instead. I hear the government is is okay with an either or. It's weird times, right? But you can go on thedreammason.com and do an authenticity audit where you get to kind of answer questions that are things that happen in real life. Like your partner asks you how they look. You don't think they look great. Do you tell them the truth or not? Your boss has food in their teeth. Do you actually tell them things that happen in real life that often we pretend, we hide, we we. White lies to really see. Hey, how do we show up in the world? Are we are we showing up as our true self, or are we doing things based on what we should or shouldn't, or you know, maybe playing polite and whatnot? So it's kind of fun. You
0: yes. should do it, Christopher. I'd be curious to see what score you get. <laughs> we definitely don't do that here. Um, by the way, people uh, do pay your taxes. Wear a mask. Whatever Alex said, it was just nonsense. Okay. Well, uh, Alex, as you know, you know the the topic of almost every conversation and many conferences this year is uh cultural competence bias gender and especially race issues and i'm happy to have some of the the people who've been around for quite a while doing this work with us today um you know that i uh as the founder and you know sort of senior trainer of accomplishment coaching have been training coaches for about 20 years and we've got some very experienced extraordinary. Uh, Coach trainers, coaches, authors with us today. I'm going to start with Sharon Brown. In addition to her PCC and her CPC, she's also got a master's and is a certified professional coach. She's owner of her own coach uh, coaching company, Collaborate Change. You can find them on the web at collaboratechange.com. But she's also a faculty member. I'm assuming a senior faculty member. At least she's been there for a while at Leadership That Works. Leadership That Works, Stephen Falanti has told me, was started by Virginia Kellogg and Martha Lansley and uh, is a coach training organization that has for a long time been a key player in the area of cultural competence and bias and awareness of who we are as coaches and the importance of identity and belonging. Sharon, welcome to our microphone. Look around outside, where are you today?
3: Uh, Thank you, thank you, Christopher. I'm in New Jersey, it's beautiful today.
0: In New Jersey? Never mind. Let's move on. The, uh, uh,
3: there are beautiful places in New Jersey.
0: You are uh, dynamo. You're a dynamo. You're a co-author of the book, Coaching for Transformation, Pathways to Ignite Personal and Social Change. You also teach the nine-month Coaching for Transformation Certification Program. You have taught the nine-month Community Coach Certification Program and other um, coaching Work in addition, you're a founding member of the Advocates for Criminal Justice Reform in East Orange, New Jersey. or You have to say Orange. Um, the, you've done a lot of work. What are you seeing in terms of the coaching profession? Are we finally waking up as a profession, or do you think that um, there's a lot more work to do? How How do you see the coaching profession?
3: Hi, thanks. I see it as a both and. I think there's a lot more work to do, and I think we're beginning to wake up. So I'm excited about the possibilities, and I have a big vision for how coaching can change and be more responsive to the changing demographics in the U.S. and around the world.
2: I'm, I'm curious, because as someone who's a lot newer to coaching than the three of you, you know, I've been in this for five, going on six years. Um, when we talk about waking up in coaching, because because we can see it very clearly what waking up means as a society and in culture, but when you when, when Christopher when you asked that Sharon when you answered it can you kind of dive into what what you see as waking up and what that means for like us who are kind of on the newer side and this is this is just how it's right how it's been this is only the only perspective we've kind of seen.
3: Mm-hmm. Do you want me or Stephen to tackle? Oh, that? Sharon,
2: one? You, either okay. one. I mean you 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 guys.
3: Yeah, it's um, I think. Yeah, I don't think it's a surprise. Coaching was originated out of one cultural lens. It was a cultural lens that was developed by white people, and your the primary customer base were middle and upper class white people. And I think Virginia and Martha had a vision, um, along with Belma Gonzalez and um, some other of our colleagues in California, that coaching should Uh, represent the entire population and be relevant for the entire population. So leadership that works um, probably 10 years ago or more began diversifying our faculty. Uh, We've been teaching in cross-cultural teaching teams and really working to recruit diverse, culturally diverse students and adapt our curriculum to be relevant for both our students, the faculty, and the times we find ourselves in. One more thing, though, a lot of us, as as coaches and trainers in leadership works really care about taking coaching out into community settings, and so that has been a big focus for many of us.
0: And I want to acknowledge you and our our other guest, whom I guess will uh, I'll I'll take a second pass at introducing today, because and the English language and I are not friends today. Um, also on the faculty at Leadership That Works and a longtime uh, leader in the coaching field, Stephen Filante has been a coach for, I think, around as long as I have, and a coach trainer. He's a faculty member of Leadership That Works, a coach mentor and supervisor. Uh, Stephen, you, you, uh, we should talk at some point about your background and how a BA in economics landed in the coaching field. But um, what are you, know, you and I, were a couple of people who identify as white cisgendered males, right, of a certain age to have this color hair that is natural. Um, what, uh, what do you want to say about this sort of shift, change, or, or turn in the coaching profession?
1: Uh, God, I want to say so much. One is, uh, as a mainstream white person, it was so easy for me to imagine That coaching worked for everybody because it worked well for me. It spoke to me. Uh, I felt at home. I felt welcome. I felt like I was coming home. It was just the best experience when I started my coach training. And it wasn't until I was with Leadership That Works and working with Sharon that I realized how many blind spots I had. And I realized that. Where I was comfortable, other people, particularly non-mainstream people, people of color, uh, LGBTQ+, were having to manage how they showed up in order to feel safe and fit in. I just had no idea, and so for me, the waking up was just becoming aware of what was missing in an, in those white oriented coach training classes. There were whole groups of cultural uh, groups not present and the ones that were present didn't feel like they could fully participate. And by changing the curriculum, by changing how we taught, we were able to have more diverse, more inclusive, more intimate uh groups and with that i just became aware of what we were missing as coaches as coach trainers as a society when we assume that uh that one dominant culture can include and express all of us so it so what i see is the coach tr- training uh world is starting to wake up to that and Starting to make change, and that there's a lot more to go. Uh, so, uh, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited that we're waking up. I'm excited at the at the vision of of uh, of groups that can be where everyone can feel fully included and expressed. So,
0: thank you, thank you, Sharon. I have a question for you. In my own work and my own attempt to try and bring myself and my organization into this, uh, you know, massive educational gap, I'm going to call it. One of the things that I notice is missing is any sort of a roadmap. And, you know, I've clicked on every article, you know, ad or anything that says, here's, you know, start here, right? But uh Alex and I were talking and I said, you know, what we need is those sorts of things that you do when you're teaching your kids to read, right? There, there's level one books and then there's level two books and level three. I feel like we need this in terms of you know education about bias, cultural competence, racism and and oppression in certainly in North Carolina. Um, If you were all of this to say, if you were to give people one, two, or three places to start. Clearly your chapter in, in your book would be an excellent, <laughs> an excellent starting place. But what are what are, you know, two or three things we should all just take on who are interested in learning more or expanding our awareness?
3: That's a great question. So thanks, thanks for asking that. There are so many resources, especially right now, uh, one of the things that that I found to be really valuable is Dr. Eddie Moore's 21 Day Equity Challenge. Uh, You could Google it and find that easily on the web. And there are a variety of resources there that take a variety, you know, from minutes a day to to some longer things. And so just really starting there would be a good thing. There are, I mean, every day there, there are more resources. So I think the main thing is for people to really Decide that they want to learn and to be committed to the learning journey. I mean, for us, it's been an ongoing trial and error over the years, with a lot of our uh, students helping us discover our own blind spots and then doing the work to overcome those blind spots. So I think there's that. I think actually talking with your graduates uh, who have who come from um, non-dominant identities. So non-white identities, non-white heterosexual, uh, cisgender identities, and just finding out what the program was like for them, asking for their honest input—that was one thing that Leadership That Works did very early on in 2007. What was missing? um, It's a thing that we still check for with our students. Um, If we don't sense that they're able to show up fully, you know, what are we missing? What would support you in feeling? more of a part of the program. And then I think affinity group work, I would say is really helpful um, for white faculty or even students to, to be together, to talk about things, what they don't know, what they're learning, supporting each other and um, also affinity groups for others and working with, with outside consultants, I think is really helpful.
2: I, I really wanna understand what it looks like from the coaching lens, and so the thing that I'm you know, I under, like, I'm hearing all of you, and I'm seeing the, the, the concept of like in the community, and when we look at tools and how that's like so obvious, how the culture that creates it puts kind of their stamp on it, and then everyone else has to fit in.'m where I'm, where I'm really curious is when I, what I took away mostly from my coach training, I want to say the biggest thing is, be curious. Don't give people the answers ask questions and let them kind of come up with their you know their their own right path let them be the experts of their lives and that's the part i'm kind of going where does the the dominant culture who cr- who creates how does that shift that because if i'm being curious and i'm asking questions wouldn't that have my culture remain absent or how is there like the i want to say the subconscious ways that you do see it still get into the space and kind of have me put my beliefs or my cultural or, um, dominant position beliefs onto somebody who may not fit that, who may not fit into that, that group or that structure.
3: Who are you directing it to? Either,
2: I, it's either one of you. I, I mean, I would love to hear from both of you. So whoever feels like they can, you know, see something that they can share.
3: Yeah, I can. I can give a perfect example of that. So Please. my one of my teachers and my first coach was a white male, um, extraordinary coach and trainer. And I was, was coaching. Was it Stephen? You could tell it. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was Richard Michaels, and, um, and so and we've shared this story before. So I'm sure Richard wouldn't mind, but there. I was coaching with him for several months, and I realized there were important things about my Black identity that I would have talked about with a coach, and I just didn't feel comfortable talking to him about it. So I was avoiding those issues that were front and center in my life at that time, because I didn't know, we hadn't established a cultural relationship. We, you know, he was my teacher, so he had some power but we really hadn't shared anything about our cultural backgrounds or identities. And I had no idea where he stood on things like race or uh, any of the things I wanted to deal with. And so I, I actually brought that to his attention. And I said, I really can't, I can't continue to pay your fee for coaching and not be able to bring my full self into the coaching. And that helped me realize there are a whole lot of other people who, are in the same boat, not just because of race, but maybe because of sexual orientation or gender identity or a whole bunch of things where there's not been an openness to seeing people fully. And fortunately, he was grateful and we continued on, you know, with very rich coaching.
1: And so, the thing I would add is recognizing that there are power dynamics all over the place that particularly mainstream people aren't aware of. That, as a mainstream person, I think of coaching as a very even relationship. We're on the same place. But if I'm a male and I'm coaching a female, if I'm white and I'm coaching a person of color, if I'm older, coaching someone younger, if I'm wealthy, coaching someone poorer, that there are power dynamics that I'm completely unaware of unless I ask and bring them to the surface. So first thing I want to say to coaches is become, start becoming aware of the power dynamics that are always present and be proactive at naming them and bringing my curiosity. One of the things that we can do is when we start a coaching relationship is to take some time to talk about our identities. Who who do, you know, who are we that makes us who we are if I'm the coach? And who are you? And so it creates a more welcoming environment for things to be discussed. I, I mean, what I used to do previously was say. Every every topic is welcome here. And what I didn't understand, it's the same in the classroom. Everybody's welcome to speak coming from a white, older, white, cisgendered male may not resonate with everyone the way I want it to. That I have great intentions and the impact may be something entirely different.
0: And, and to that point, I, I want to uh, draw the curtain back a little bit because, as as a coach trainer, you're coach trainers. Uh, Alex has trained coaches as well. One of the things that I actually like and use in in training is the power dynamic. I don't mean in a you know hopefully not in a nefarious or an evil intentioned way, but you know it's it. When I want to learn the piano, I don't go to somebody who's a peer and say, Hey, let's work this out together. I, To someone with some experience or knowledge or awareness and ask them to show me. So, I think in any training relationship, there's some sort of a power dynamic, if only because someone has more experience or knowledge or expertise in the area. So, how are you? And and forgive me, but I'd love to hear from uh, Stephen and Sharon on this because as coach trainers, I'm imagining that you have very different experiences of an innate power dynamic when you simply show up to do your work? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, so there's there's a couple of things. So the power dynamic can play out between the two trainers, for one. Um, so actually building that, that relationship between the trainers is really important. Even if it's a senior and a junior trainer or more experienced and less experienced, but then when you add gender and race, you're already adding more dynamics and so, the training team is key to how the students, actually to who you recruit, because a lot of students of color or with marginalized identities will be attracted to schools where they see that the school is walking their talk and they have diverse faculty. And then I think within the within the student body and the teacher-student relationship, one of the things that's important to me is that We say that we see it as a co learning environment. So we have expertise in coaching and we can share that. We don't have expertise in everybody's life experience. And so we want to co create an environment where people feel comfortable showing up fully with all of their identities. So we actually spend time on the first day doing cultural introductions and really creating, co creating the container where people know that they can show up fully and all of those identities are going to be welcome. And then we can get into coaching because we want them to do that with the folks that they're working with too.
1: The thing I would add is I, 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 Christopher, you you make a good point, which is uh, that rank and power aren't necessarily evil. That we need them, you know, that, uh, that there's, Uh, Just as you said, someone with more experience will help someone with less experience learn more. And the question is, do we acknowledge the power difference and how do we minimize the possible diminishment or harm that can come from a misused or unacknowledged power dynamic? So, you know, it's like saying, okay, I'm, I'm, a, I'm your coach. It, that gives me, you know, you're, one of the normal things is for you to feel like you have to please me. How can we dismantle that? Start from the very beginning. It's like, let's dismantle that, um, that tendency to uh, give more weight to what I say to what I want while still acknowledging my skill and my contribution.
0: I, I'm so sorry. I, I made a note that Alex would take it, but I just have one small follow-up. Have either of you found in your, uh, I love I love what Sharon pointed to about the between trainers relationship, because that wasn't what I was thinking of initially, but it's so important. Have you found that as you progress with a student or with, with a colleague, a trainer, uh, that you've had to reinvent your relationship. I'm I'm conscious a couple of times, a partner, somebody partnering with me or a colleague has said, stop, we need to reinvent this because we've started here, but now we're here, or something like that. What, sorry, for, <laughs> not an audio.
3: Important question. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, over the, the nine or 10 years we've worked together, we're constantly reinventing it and, and doing that again right now and And I think, even with the students, you know when there're students that um that I've missed that we've missed, really cleaning that up, you know, like really really acknowledging that and cleaning it up.
1: Yeah, yeah, thanks anything yeah, no that I just I'm so appreciative to Sharon and to me for staying in i I think one of the the tips that I would give to everyone is. That if we can commit to staying in the process with each other, that that creates some safety. Because it's so easy. It's such that race and gender and cultural differences are such easy places to get angry or hurt that we need some kind of solid container, just like you do in a committed relationship that says, okay, I'm going to stay no matter what. And that that has really helped Sharon and I to uh to continually grow our relationship and trust that that uh trust each other and the process
2: um I want to look at how coaches can put this into practice. they're hearing this they're you know maybe they're they're hearing it for the first time, maybe they're very aware and don't know what to do. you know I, I'm thinking about my practice, all my clients like do I just get on the phone with them all today and say, hey, we've never talked about, you know, race and cult, like that would kind of be weird and be very my agenda and yeah. might be too in their face. Um, what's a, what, how would you train, let's say all coaches who are already, you know, they're, they're working, they, they're, they're not going through that initial training process just to learn everything, but they're already working, they have a practice and they're hearing this for the first time and going, oh my God, I've never even thought about this. I've never addressed race, culture, religion, any of these things and put them, you know, I wanna say on the table. What's a, a good way to, to broach this, break into this and not have it be the coach just, you know, hijacking the sessions or the time, uh, but a way that serves the, the, the relationship as
1: a whole.
3: I, I think it's important to talk about at any point. So if it hasn't been talked about before, I mean, early on, I I didn't talk about identity or race in my coaching. And when it became apparent that that was necessary and I realized it was it was a gap. It was the way I had kind of bought into the system of coaching without really questioning whether it was whether it was enough or appropriate. So I think yeah, definitely talk with the clients. Um and even if you do it on, you know, on extra time, you know, that that it's important to me that we co-create this container where you can show up fully. So what do you want to know about me? What do you want me to know about you? How do we really expand the trust between us so we can talk about real issues? You know, the hard issues that people don't talk about all the time.
1: The thing that I think is important is that, uh, particularly speaking as a white person, you know, mainstream person, that it's really important that I get some knowledge uh, Mm -hmm. before I broach this with my clients or try and deal with it in a class. Because uh, I just didn't know how much pain and hurt was out there, nor did I know how my normal way of interacting with the world could sometimes make it worse. So uh, getting a basic understanding of my own culture, my own heritage, other people's culture and heritage, history, uh, some ideas about how one is in conversation with people in different cultures, I think is an important starting point and then, you know, whether I'm talking with a white client or a you know a white heterosexual client or someone else, m- really tailoring how I engage with them based on who they are and what I already know about them. So I coach some white clients who are totally unaware that there is even such a thing as privilege, much less racism or any of that, it's like they, they live in a world that is like wait we're past that and so introducing it is can be kind of shocking to them just to and so i just you know i might start with an email saying here's what i'm here's what i'm discovering in my own studies and i thought you'd want to see this just to get some sense of what we've been missing in our coaching rather than i'm going to do this it's sort of a a, a A gentle introduction to hey, there's more to life than what we have known
0: I love that my my personal experience is that as we've started asking people or having conversations about identity, people that I see as whatever it is passing because of race or gender identity or whatever else are um you know in my experience, powerhouses who are you know leaders and and innately. Uh, extraordinary humans, and yet their experience, their lived experience, is often that they're you know oppressed because of a background or a gender identity or sexual identity or something that I had no idea about. So I really appreciate what you both said, Alex. I mean, this is this is you know
2: really an enlightening conversation. Not f- from the standpoint of how we bring it to clients and what might be missing, and I'm. And I love that you're saying, hey, it's the responsibility of the coach. Like, it's not, it doesn't sound like, and please correct me, it's not the client's, it's not my client's responsibility to show up and say, hey, I'm, I identify as this and we never touch this. Right. They can, but it's really on the coach to, to bring that. And I hear it as not, you know, I present it as like, it's almost like hijacking the session or putting your things in the space. It's actually not because what you're saying is it's in service of the client. I, I am curious, because Stephen, you just touched on this. There are a lot of people, and I have a couple of clients myself, you know, when um as, as as protests started really kind of taking off in, in the recent months, I've had some clients that have been upset. Well, let's they're white clients, mostly white males, who who there's a big blind spot. Right. And what I've noticed is um you said you know hey send an email like there's ways to share how do you support those um, the clients that seem like they're just almost unwilling to look in that place like it's it, I want to say it's too I want to label it as too scary for them like there's there's too much fear that they're not saying that that's my opinion but how do you approach the those um, clients that Almost want to debate it or fight it, but are unwilling to actually even consider it. Um,
1: I'll start with this one. Uh, it's a challenge. I uh, and and I don't. I see it as my first thing I do is love my clients as they are and as who they're becoming. And to me, that's a great place to be, is that I have a vision. uh, I have a a tremendous love and appreciation for who they are right now with their fears and their prejudices, their blind spots. I don't think, gee, I'd love you if. You'd be a great person if only you. And that comes across. My clients feel love. They know that I hold them and their well-being as primary their well-being, their full expression. And so that gives me room to explore things, uh, to, to say, boy, I'm, I'm hearing like maybe some fear here, almost. What are you noticing? It feels, you know, it, it almost sounds like you feel threatened when you talk about this. What's your sense? I don't have to say, gee, have you ever considered the fact that, you know, you're a racist? That's not what do, and it's not what I would ever do. I want to listen and hear and respond in a loving way, and uh, and be and take little steps to name what I'm hearing: fear, defensiveness, maybe God. I don't know what it could be because it would be different in every case. But I don't stop being a coach. I'm also just aware of that there's, there's a bigger possibility for my client than where they are right now in a place of fear and defensive. so. Sharon, you wanna add something?
3: Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I love my clients too. I, I don't think I wanna work with someone who's expressing you know, overt racism. So, you know, I think there is a a thing of finding the right match. And I like working with culturally diverse clients because there's always the opportunity for people to discover more about themselves and also how even white people have been shaped by white supremacy culture, which by that we only mean the monocultural lens, the, you know, not white supremacists, but the cultural lens that was created predominantly by white men. And so then it's like, how has this impacted you? So even sensitive white men um, have to cover that in some workplaces. So how do we, how do we bring in, you know, create, co-create the space where white men, anybody can show up fully? Um, That's what I want to do. If someone is actually expressing hatred around things that are hurting me, then we we shouldn't be working together. Yeah,
0: great point. Oh, sorry. Can
3: I tell one more
1: little story? Because I've worked with this one white male client for a number of years. We built up a lot of trust. And he was telling a story about how he and a few white friends were hungry, and they uh, just went into a kitchen at a hotel, you know, back rooms, and got some food, and I was, I was just a little bit shocked, and I, and I listened, and I said, okay, I need to tell you something, that if you were a person of color, you would be risking imprisonment and death. You, it would not be, gee, we're just a bunch of good guys having some fun, and if we were discovered, it would be no big deal. And I, and it was just, it was just an example where I a little bit stepped out of my um, coach role just to name what I was seeing that, that there, you know, like there was a significant lack of awareness on the part of my client and there was enough trust that I could say that. And luckily that client is a curious client and he's now exploring culture, race, racism in a way that he wouldn't have if I hadn't brought it up in that, in that interaction. It's like to notice it, to name it, to bring it to his attention, not to hammer, but just to, to bring awareness of, of what's, what's being said and what's present that hasn't been said.
3: Can I add just one really quick thing? Cause I don't want it to seem like I don't want to coach certain people. It's about <laughs> curiosity, right? And so if people are open and really wanting to discover more about themselves and they want to change, I'm happy to work with anybody. You know, it's, it's really, I get curious then, you know, how is, how is this current way of being serving you? You know, what's it costing in some ways, what are the relationships you have that are most meaningful to you, and what might you be missing? And so that's the way I would approach that.
2: Yeah. Stephen and Sharon, I know you both are uh, are. I think I think it's you're doing this together. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're offering and co-hosting a program in 2021 for uh, female coaches of color.
0: That's uh, just Sharon, right? It's
2: just, yeah, just so it's so just so it's so Sharon. Good. Yes. No. Sh- Sharon, I mean, it seems like do you want to tell us a little bit about this? Because it seems like this is like a perfect place to learn about like how the impact that you're making and, and some people that you're impacting and the difference it can make.
3: Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um yeah, I've been excited for a while. And so I think um I'm looking forward to to developing it. And I'm not sure exactly what how it's going to be shaped, but I have really valued reclaiming my indigenous ancestral roots and I want to do that more. I'm meeting more female coaches of color who are doing on a similar journey. Um, So much was lost to us being brought here, our ancestors being brought here. And so reclaiming that and then focusing on healing and then the social justice application of it. So healing for um, communities of color and, you know, using coaching skills in that way to help people reclaim our, our, the part of our ancestry that we lost through colonization, and then really use it to empower and support and, and help heal create healing and, and support and empowerment in communities of color. so there's been some interest in that i'm I'm really excited about that, it's something I've become very passionate about.
0: And where can people register if we want more information? Oh. Where can we go?
3: Oh, they could just email me right now. It's a uh, brown. Sharon Y at gmail.com yeah with
0: your gmail address
3: okay
0: (laughs) Y at Uh gmail.com yeah the letter y you are a yeah thanks you're a big deal there's this book that should be on every coach's shelf coaching for transformation written by oh look martha lasley virginia kellogg right founders of
1: uh
0: Um, of um leadership that works richard michaels your first coach and trainer and Sharon Brown, right here. Um, chapter fourteen is about, it. I think, going back to my first question. You know, where can, where should coaches start, or what's a foundational piece? Is power, privilege, and coaching? And you are doing a very generous thing, and have a giveaway for our listeners today. Yes.
3: Yeah, and also I do want to say that Stephen really participated in developing the first curriculum and also uh contributed to the book so uh yeah uh it is it's a chapter that that we thought would be useful for people as a starting place and we're happy to offer it there's um what it includes is is just kind of an overview of power and privilege in coaching it has some coaching examples in it uh Stephen, anything more you would Add about you know, it. I
1: just—it just feels like a, a a a way to look at power and privilege through a coaching lens that I think people will find useful and interesting. So yeah.
0: Well, it's very very kind of you. Uh, do you want people to come to us to get that, or do you want them to, uh, Do you want to send them someplace in particular?
3: If there's a way they can come to you, that would be.
0: Perfect. Perfect. So if you are within the sound of our voice, uh, please send an email. That's the electronic mail. Very popular, I understand, (laughs) to producer at accomplishmentmedia.com or producer at thecoachingshow.com. And Clarice will hook you up with chapter 14 of Coaching for Transformation, a book you should, by the way, go ahead and buy. Um, Thanks. Alex, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, I'm looking at the screen here on the Zoom, and uh, we seem to be three white men talking with Sharon. Sharon, my suspicion is that this is not the first time you've been in in, a, in a, a conversation with this kind of odds. Have you noticed, or is there anything that you would have people who simply have meetings, you know, where there's a uh, an imbalance, either gender or any other way, uh, to sort of even that or address it, is it something that in this day and age it's wise and you talk to your clients about addressing the dynamics in the room, or is it something that you that we still just sort of see and don't address what What guidance do you do either of you have for us? Stephen you may have a, a different or powerful view as one of the seemingly white men in the room.
3: I think for me, I, I spent, you know, before my coach training, a lifetime of learning how to assimilate into dominant cultural norms. And all it did was create internalized depression and a lot of self-doubt and uncertainty. I credit my coach training in the years after for really liberating me. And so uh, my focus is on people finding their voice. That's what we want in coaching, right? We want to connect people with their power and their voice. So I think people need to speak up, you know, and and then there's that balance. Does my job get put in jeopardy because I raise my voice? And then I think it's really how do you speak truth to power in ways that people can hear? And you know, so it might be a question, like, I'm noticing that, you know, I'm the only black woman in this group of white men. What opportunities are we missing here and how could we, you know, expand our awareness and what we could do and offer if we diversify this team, you know? and, And I think this gets to our larger vision for the coaching field. We can't, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion are within something that's already been created. I really think it's time for us to really invite diverse voices to the table to say, what could this look like? Or what might and what should this look like if it were going to serve this wider audience? So my request is, is that what it takes, I think, is for white people, especially white men, to be open to um, moving back, moving aside, creating space for those diverse voices to come in.
1: Yeah, I want to
3: second that,
1: uh, <clears throat> that for me, uh, and I and you know, I have a lifetime of although I didn't realize it because I thought everybody got this, but just an assumption that of course, my voice was welcome that and that I should speak up, and I assumed that everybody got that as much as I did, uh and that the only difference was some people wanted to speak more and others didn't, and I wanted to honor people's willingness to be or wanting to be silent and what i discovered is that i took up a lot of space uh unconsciously and so it i don't think of it as stepping back i think of it as being in a different kind of relationship that is less me dominant you know uh i It's like, I have to unlearn all my habits of, here, let me tell you my great idea, and turn to my co-leader or turn to someone in the class, uh, listen more, uh, discover the power in inviting rather than telling. uh, This, I mean, uh, unlearning monoculturalism and uh, racism is a lot about okay i didn't is it's about learning who i was told to be and what are different ways i can be that aren't about me being less but are about me opening space for others contribution which may mean and i'll, I'll repeat i think something i just said because it feels really important to me the difference between let me add my voice to let me bring another voice in and that that's a power that i have as a mainstream part of dominant culture is to is to make space and and i also want to honor what sharon said is if i'm the only person of power my invitation is also part of my power and that part of what needs to happen is that that other voices besides mine need to create the space that invites people besides me. So it's, it's really tricky uh, ste- stepping out of that entrenched power dynamic. Uh, and Sharon, I know you can say it better than me. Well, so. I just
3: want to add one slight thing. The, the inviting voices in is great, and there's a step farther because if the decision making then still rests
2: mm-hmm.
3: with the white structure, the white owners, then those voices really after a while people realize, well, I, I I gave my opinion and it wasn't considered. Or, you know, so then it gets to with pluralism, it gets to sharing power, sharing decision making. So um, and and I think that is probably scary for people, and it's also a beautiful opportunity, you know, to co-create something really new and exciting. I'm wondering I wonder, how that lands for both of you. Yeah. I don't know if we have time, but I'm curious
2: to hear. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I'm happy to share. I was going to ask. I was going to ask you both another question, and I can we can do it after. Um, well, at first, I was. Th- you know, the first thing I thought of was that opened up for me was thinking about. Um, taking it out of coaching out of this, and 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 it triggered thoughts about very successful athletes that for them to get to the next level, they had to essentially create space for the people the teammates around them or a different system and the the specific one that came to mind was Michael Jordan was already the best player in the NBA before he had ever won anything, but when he was introduced to Phil Jackson, Phil Jackson said, We have to play differently, which Michael Jordan describes as he said he wanted to take the ball away from me. That was crazy. Mm-hmm. And he describes how what he had to learn was that by actually letting the ball be taken away from him, it opened up the space for everyone else, which actually made him even better and the team even better. Now, it kind of got thrown when we, when, when um, Sharon, when you said the decision making, because ultimately, He's Michael Jordan, and he was ultimately kind of a decision <laughs> maker. But, but I still I see that as in, like, if we look at America, if, if the dominant white culture is, has to stay the dominant white culture, then America can only, as a country, be as good as it's ever been. Like, there's a, there's a ceiling. And that if people really want, you know, we have this thing in America where we say best country, and I don't know that we say this, but people say we're the best country in the world. If we actually wanted to be the best at something, it it doesn't make any law. Lo- it doesn't make logical sense or any sense to say that hey, we're going to keep some of our people lower or down yeah. because it's like you're only as good as we could say. And again, this is not no one's our weakest link, but in the in this metaphor. Versus saying, hey, the 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 powerful dominant group, we actually want to open it up to bring the the brilliance, the wisdom, the culture, the spirit, all the different things of the other groups, because then it raises all of our, it raises all of us up and it makes the entire country better, all of us more powerful. And if we did that as you know, as a, as an organization, as a city, as a state, and it, and it kind of expanded then every yeah. it's what all ships, all ships rise, right. With the rising tide. Yeah. Um, so that's what came up for me, which is a very cool, It's it was a very hopeful thought. Yeah, yeah.
0: Beat that Christopher.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Clearly I cannot. So I'm going to go in a totally different direction. The, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting. You know, I love the inspirational, uh, message there alex for me what i'm noticing is my uh fear-based concern that this won't be sustainable in other words for my organization for example you know a lot of people came to us i don't know a year ago two years ago three years ago and said um you got to do more about climate change climate change right it's going to threaten all of our lives and all of our futures got to do something about climate change and as a business owner as a responsible citizen. I wanted to do things, but I wanted to do them in a way that wouldn't simply be the, you know, performative allyship, if you will, right? That thing that just makes us, you know, let's throw up a, a, we care about climate change sticker and move on with our lives, right? We actually wanted to make lasting sustainable differences. And hilariously, really with some of the most minor things became huge, right? We decided, okay, we're only going to uh, hold our events in places where they have sustainable glassware as opposed to plastic cups. And you would have thought we'd ask people to, you know, change their like religious beliefs. It was so, you know, <laughs> we don't do glassware. It became a huge thing. So I'm, I'm conscious that sometimes what seems like small steps in a large movement can be big steps. And I'm noticing also that my, you know, I keep coming back to this one, two, three level because I'm conscious that there are levels and that we're going to, today's battles aren't tomorrow's battles, and yet I want to sort of regain I want to claim the territory and keep it, as opposed to claiming it and moving on with our lives. Right? I think we have such an incredible opportunity in our life right now. Those of us that have been around for a while know that we haven't seen leaps forward like this in civil rights for Americans in right. in our lifetimes. Right? Or at least not in 50 years. So it's yeah. it, I, We want to. I want to capture that, and I want to make it sustainable. You know, I want to stick it in the ground somehow. Thanks for asking.
3: I think Alex yeah. is, oh.
0: No, please, Sharon, go ahead.
2: Yeah.
3: I think, I think what, you're, what you said sparked for me is, is the need for the continuous evolution. And so the place that that inspiration has come from for me is from our students. And our students, if, if they are actually um, encouraged to speak their truth, to us as as teachers as leaders as owners of a company they will and they help us see you know because the next generation comes through it's multi multi multi-generational and so their ideas of even what we're missing and so they challenge us it's like you're advertising this and you're not going far enough so they continually challenge us to walk our talk and so i think that ongoing evolution is great
1: and uh I've asked that question of myself. It's like, is, uh, cultural awareness and social awareness and social justice integral to coaching? Is it, or, you know, or is it just another issue? And here's where I am currently, cause I'm, it's not like I have a, a, the answer. What I, um, what I, see is that the coaching industry is about bringing people to their fullest expression, their authentic selves, and that without cultural awareness and equity and justice, that can't happen. Either coach to client or coach trainer to student. It's like this is fundamental to people's Experience and expression and aliveness in the world, even you know, you know, m- more than any other. So that's that's why I'm saying, yeah, this is a fundamental issue for the coaching or world at every level.
2: I'd I'd love to hear from you both in in like a final thought and and please expand on this. Um, but I know Christopher and I have had this conversation where we've talked about where we are in the future. And Christopher, when we had the conversation last time, was very hopeful. And mm-hmm. I was, and I did not feel hopeful. I felt like um, as a world that feels like, yes, there's a lot of powerful things happening that we've never seen. And there's also a lot of new anger and fighting against and, you know, science doesn't exist. And doctors, you know, all these wild things that we've never seen. And I noticed that a lot of the coaches that I'm interacting with, that I support, that support me, there is a lot of um, needing to take care of ourselves. Just on a, mm-hmm. So we can show up powerfully for our clients because everything that's going on around us is, is unprecedented in, in so many ways. I'm curious what you both see for the future like what how can coaches who are being with a lot of this everything their clients bring everything that they how can they be positive for the future how can they see possibility when sometimes it doesn't feel like there's a lot right now
3: yeah um i think you, you named it all you know it's it's kind of when we start coaching now it's like how are you and everybody is like in this moment on this day on this week I can answer that question. And so, yeah, there's self-care for the coach. Definitely. Um, also just being with people where they are and supporting them through it. So it's, it's really, how do you want to be, you know, we call it our deeper agenda. How do you want to be, how do you want to show up in this situation that you find yourself in and what's emerging for you? So what's the poss- what's possible. And I think it's a place of possibility where I see the hope. Um, I could be really discouraged, and as a coach, I want to, I want to help co-create change. So that that excites me.
1: I um, thanks, Sharon. You know how much I appreciate you. Um, uh, I uh, think that coaches are good at including everything, which is. There's a lot of anger and fear and division in our country and the world right now. We don't have to pretend that that's not happening to be able to move forward. Uh, and I and I and to me, my vision is I can see the power in a. a uh, both, like a coach-client relationship in a coach training organization, in the coach training organization's relationship with its students, that moves and is continuing to move toward uh, more inclusiveness, more equity, more power sharing, and the the benefits of aliveness and power. And I, I mean. I had no idea what was missing from coaching classes because I had taught classes in coaching, you know, great coaching classes for, I don't know, eight years before I started to see all of this that was missing and, and, and I couldn't go back, you know? And so yeah. I, I have a tremendous belief in that when people start experiencing the power and the joy of that intimate vulnerable connected space that they don't want to go back to the old way to the old fear defensive way so uh i my my vision though is wow it's going to be hard and painful there is just no way we're like okay yeah by next year you know covid has gone we have, you know, uh, the climate uh, change is stopped. It's like, it's, we got hard times. And and we're the ones with, that get to create the containers and the alliances that, that can s- contribute our part to going in a direction that we believe in.
3: Yeah. Thanks.
2: Thank you both. Um, do you, do either of you have any, you know, final thoughts, a, a final opportunity to share anything you want, any ideas, you know, it's your soapbox moment um, to really share anything with all of our listeners that maybe we haven't touched on yet?
3: I think I think we've touched on it. I just, I almost want to, you know, coaches challenge, right? I I want to challenge coach training organizations to really start to dream big and to dream big across cultural identity, um, to really look at places where there's been there have been blind spots and dream a bigger world for coaching and the ways in which coaching can support a wider, um, more diverse community. Uh, I also think that includes the ICF. I think there needs to be diversity there. Uh, The standards that we are all abiding by now come from that monocultural lens. So you know, let's deconstruct so that we can reconstruct something even better. And there's magic. We see it in our classrooms when people can talk about race and culture and identities in a cross-cultural, you need affinity groups, but when people can come together and create trust in a container for real honest conversations, really amazing things happen. And that can happen in a wider way. So thank you. Thank you both. Yeah. Uh,
1: I just want to add one little thing is that as individuals, there are a couple things that we can do. Uh, Sharon mentioned that 21-day racial equity challenge from Dr. Eddie Moore uh, to educate ourselves. uh, And then we can start. Learning and watching and discovering where power dynamics exist in our world, uh, in our workplaces, in, with our clients, and start bringing attention to them, to ourselves and to the other people involved. Not in a necessarily, uh, we've got to fight about this way, but it's like, hey, let's look at this. I, I, you know, How are we going to address these power differences? In a way that really uh, uh, honors everyone here.
3: And just quickly, I would add, it's it's not about blame or shame or attack. And so, you know, I think people get kind of closed up and fear based. It's about co-creation. So, you know, that's my dream that we we really co-create something new and better together.
0: Thank you both for your vision, for your work, for everything that you're doing to bring these conversations more into our daily lives and our daily awareness as coaches and coach trainers. You can uh, find the inevitable, the extraordinary Sharon Brown at leadershipthatworks.com or at collaboratechange.com. Stephen, I have Leadership That Works for you. Is there another yes. website? No, no, leadershipthatworks.com, both of them yeah. available there. Of course, go out and get the book, Coaching for Transformation. And uh, if nothing else, write an email to producer at thecoachingshow.com and get your copy of chapter 14. Um, Alex, anything for you, the Dream Mason, dreammason.com before we say goodbye?
2: No, this was great. Thanks for, uh, I I love when we do these and, and there's something new and insightful and, and value that we can bring right to the audience. But that I can, and probably Christopher too, can bring
0: right into our practice. <laughs> Even yeah. I, yeah, I've got a page full of notes. Thank you <laughs> Thank so much for your important Thank work. Thank you.
3: Thanks, thanks, for bo- thanks to both of you. Thank you, Christopher. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was Thank great Alex. to be with you. And again, apologies for a stutter start. Well, Alex, that's another edition of the coaching show. Is there um, anything that you wanted to add before we, uh, before we sign off?
2: Go take the authenticity audit at thedreammason.com. That's it. That's what I got for you.
0: all right great Uh, thank you dear listener that's another edition of the coaching show each and every week bringing you people out on the cutting edge of coaching people uh, uh, to bring you education or just folks you need to know about Uh, all of that right here uh, each and every week at Accomplishment Media or wherever fine podcasts are available thank you for listening and we will talk to you next week
1: that's it for today's episode thanks for listening to the coaching show we will talk to you next week